Well, it is good to be back with you. Um, and we are falling into the Psalms. We are uh, just uh, spending October, November in the Psalms. Um, we're actually going to continue that into uh, the Psalms over the December Christmas season. Um, I want to begin with an equation today for all you mathites. Um, and you can see it's quite a complex equation on the screen. It's an addition problem. Uh, so it should be, everybody should be able to handle it, right? Psalm 1 plus Psalm 2 equals Psalm 3. Psalm 1 plus Psalm 2 equals Psalm 3. Psalm 1, we uh, talked about that a little while ago. It's, it's settle it. It's, it's a call essentially to settle your faith in the Lord. Psalm 1 pictures the person that has settled their faith in their Lord. They are a tree planted by, might I say a tree transplanted by streams of living water. And they are secured there. They are rooted there by the streams of living water. And um, verse 5, chapter 1, as one in the congregation of the righteous. How cool is that? Psalm 2 takes quite a different turn on things. It's the reality that we live in a raging mad world. Um, Psalm 1, the, the, the tree transplanted by the streams of living water, uh, we have a tendency out of Psalm 1 to think that the birds and the trees, that is just heaven all around. But Psalm 2 kind of brings in the reality of the thing of the tree is transplanted by the streams of living water and there is a raging war going on all around. Uh, that's kind of the reality of what life is. And editors, as they put the Psalms together, I just, I think it is so cool how these first three Psalms come together and almost set a pattern for how the rest of the Psalms uh, work their way out. Because Psalm 3, where we're going to be at today, is, is one story of a Psalm 1 person living in a Psalm 2 world. Psalm 3 is the account of, one story of, a Psalm 1 person living in a Psalm 2 world. Uh, It's kind of like each Psalm from Psalm 3 on is a mini faith in the Lord story. It's what it is about, what it looks like. I mean, it contains about every emotion, almost every situation of these little mini pieces of what it looks like. To, uh, to, to be living faith in the Lord in a raging mad world. I might say it this way. Think of the book of Psalms as a bag of dove dark chocolates. The food from the heavens. By the way, I just saw this last week. One serving is five. I never knew that. Just sharing my life. Just sharing my life. <laughs> Nothing to do with the sermon. Dove dark chocolates. I, I, I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hands because I'm going to rebuke you. If, if you take like a dove chocolate and you chew it. No! Are you kidding me? That is not how you do a Psalms either. You don't go into a psalm, chew it up, swallow it, and then you're next. What? No, 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 no. There is an art of the dove. 
And my wife and I could so write the story, because I am not kidding. We pretty much have a dove dark chocolate after lunch and after dinner. I am like a trained dog. <laughs> and, uh, and you open it, and it's got these goofball comments, whatever, on that. And then you just put it in your mouth and just savor it and let it slowly melt and just like, <sighs> life is good, man. That's kind of what the Psalms should be like. Kind of the Psalms like this taste when life sometimes is really hard or hurting or you just wonder what's going on. Psalms kind of are like that. And yet I realize oftentimes it's kind of hard to know how to handle the psalms. But if I could just leave that picture with you, they're like little miniature dove dark chocolates. Save them. And that's what we're doing right now. Um, Faith is not static. Faith is not sedentary. Faith is not a feeling. Uh, Faith is not a bolstered self-confidence, nor is faith blind. Faith is not a denial of reality either. And faith is not simply kind of tying a bow on a live hand grenade. Um, Instead, as we are here through now through November, we're going to be learning about faith here. And, And six things. Faith wars, faith prays, faith trusts, faith declares, faith beholds, and faith gives thanks. I wonder which weekend that last one will be on. Think it through. Look on your calendar. Um, We're going to be savoring these Sundays. And today, faith wars. So it's kind of like you open the Dove Dark Chocolate, the little aluminum thing. Your mouth is kind of getting ready to to not bite into it. (laughs) But you look, and the little note there is faith wars. And let's just enjoy it for a bit. Can we do that? All right, let's do that. Actually, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible. You may be already in the Psalms, but I'm going to ask you to make a big turn in the left and go to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Because if you were just there, you'd see at the very beginning of Psalm 3, it talks about the, 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 the context, the setting in which the Psalm is written in. And I just want to briefly take you, and I just want for you to see this in your Bible. If you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there, we're on uh, page 264. Uh, some background on Psalm 3. Uh, Psalm, uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13 uh, really through 15, actually really through 19, the, the full of it, is what I might call is the height of the dysfunction of David's family uh, and, and what's been taking place. Chapter 13, you could just look at it, I want for you to see it there. We find one of King David's sons, Amnon. Amnon man, manipulates his dad, and, uh, but, but just to cut to the chase, Amnon manipulates his dad so that he can actually rape his half-sister, Tamar. Um, and Absalom, who is Tamar's full sister, uh, all of these are children of David, by the way. Absalom, um, Amnon's half-brother, um, who raped Absalom's sister, is obviously upset, and understandably so. Um, it all comes down two years later, Absalom has Amnon murdered. Brother murders brother. Uh, Absalom flees, and uh, King David aches when he learns of this. Can you imagine? And honestly, maybe you can. 
It's just beginning. In chapter 14, Absalom begins a secret conspiracy. Uh, I'm sorry, that's 15. Chapter 14, years later, Absalom and his family are brought back to Jerusalem. Absalom uh, has to live apart from his father, King David, in Jerusalem because of the, the background of what took place. He's not allowed in David's presence until you get to the end of chapter 14. At the end of chapter 14, actually, Absalom and David uh, reunite face to face in that time. Then chapter 15. You would think that would lead to a pretty cool story, but in chapter 15, Absalom actually begins a secret conspiracy over his dad. And for four years, Absalom does this kind of underground conspiracy with his dad, who's the king of Israel. He begins doing this underground conspiracy. The text talks about how he steals the hearts of Israel. And literally over four years, thousands and thousands of people begin uh, being won to Absalom and taken kind of their allegiance taken away from King David because of what Absalom does. David then is informed of it. And in verse 13 in chapter 15, David... David has to flee Jerusalem because of his son. He is the king, and he has to flee Jerusalem because of the, let's just say, the dysfunction with a capital D of his son Absalom. And you just consider what's been going on in this family just in these few chapters. An adult son, Amnon, manipulates his father in order to rape his sister. Hatred and murder follow, then restoration leads to years of conspiracy and plotting to where David has to hightail it out of town. And now I would just say this. Imagine you are David and what that must feel like. The agony of that. I can't quite fathom it. And sometimes one of the wonderful things about the Psalms is they give us situations and circumstances that may be similar to your own life, but oftentimes they are even more than our own life. And can I say that? That actually gives me hope. And Psalm 3 takes place here. A king that's been dethroned by his own son, a father whose daughter was raped by another one of his sons, and that son is murdered by the other son, and now that son wants you dead. Man, that's dysfunction. Go home and kiss your family. Okay. Um, And add on top of that, David's just had some own personal failures of life before the Lord. Tragedy, sadness, failures surround you in every direction. And that's where Psalm 3 starts. Turn back to Psalm 3. Page uh, 448 in my Bible somewhere, just left the center of the Bible, Psalm 3. Psalm 3, do you see it? It opens with the heading of a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. I wonder what this Psalm 1 man is going to say in the raging madness of his Psalm 2 life and world. So much to learn here. Some possibilities could be that David just bags his faith. And he says, you know, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't turn out the way I had hoped for it. And he just bags his faith. Another option is he could kind of cop an attitude with God, lash out at God because his family and life didn't turn anything out like he had hoped for. 
Another option is David could uh, fall into the pit of depression because of all of his own failures. And look what now has happened to his own family. He could shut down in self-protection, self-preservation, go dormant. Or will David, like small groups, going through the book of Jonah? Or will David in this run from the presence of the Lord? Or will David, even in his own personal failures and his faults and his agonizing life hurts, live out a faith, a faith that goes to war in it? This is really cool because it's the latter. It's that last one. So let's do this. We are now unwrapped faith wars. Let's savor it. Here we go. Um, The crisis. By the way, I just want for you to know, I've told you that this whole psalm series is because I just need a time to fall into the psalms, fall into the Lord during this season of my life right now. And uh, that even means falling into what other people say and how they do it. And I just want for you to know, this outline actually comes from Williams um, and also from Davis, two of them. And uh, sometimes it's just, it was really fun this week, even just being able to fall into someone else's outline. Uh, let's savor it. First, the crisis, the enemies you face. Verses one and two. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. That's a crisis. Let's work it out. Many are my foes. I have to say, I've never had foes like David, and maybe you've never had foes like David in what they're wanting to have happen to him here. I mean, literally, they're wanting to take him out. Maybe you haven't had foes like that, but we all know what foes are, right? I mean, I've had some foes, and uh, you've had some in that. And uh, I just want to say this. A Psalm 1 follower of the Lord in a Psalm 2 world should expect foes. If you don't want foes, don't be a follower of Christ. That's just part of it. The gospel, it even says the gospel is offensive. Why is it offensive? Because God's word says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and you cannot fix it on your own. That you and I are broken uh, and we have to depend on someone who came and did what did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And there's a part of that where don't tell me I'm broken, don't tell me I'm busted, don't tell me I'm sinful. That is very offensive. And it's true. But there's hope in knowing that. Because there is an answer to the problem, and if we don't see the problem, we don't see the answer. And here David has life problems. And his foes on this are actually his son and his own people. This isn't like some competitor of another company. This is his own son and his own people that he has been king of, that God appointed him to be king of them. They are the ones that are his foes. Oh, the hurt that must be going on. Many are my foes. And then next, many are rising against me. It's not just that they, don't, that they disagree with him or they dislike him. They're at war with him. They literally want him extinguished. 
I think you and I have had people in situations where it's like they don't like you or they don't like me or whatever for something. But I don't think I've ever had anyone who wants to like literally try and kill me. And that's the situation. By the way, it's not just a few. Do you see the flow of the text? Many are. And then many are. And then third, many are saying of my soul. What are they saying? They are saying of King David, by the way, the one that God put in that place, that there is no salvation for him in God. Now understand, we read that in English and we think that that's referring to the eternal salvation. It's not really what it's talking about here in the statement in Hebrew. It's really this term that's saying God has abandoned him. God has left him. God will not help him. By the way, the whole rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. And even nowadays in a digital world where we can have face-to-face conversations one way and then go behind the scenes in digital world, words that cut and hurt and you do not forget. Words can hurt and words can kill. And here David has foes that are of his own family and of his own people. They're rising against him to take him out. And they are saying of him that God cannot even help him. God has obviously left him. And I wonder if David in his mind, he's thinking back with his whole situation with King Saul. Where that did happen. Thousands are my foes. Thousands are rising against me. Thousands and thousands say of my soul, God cannot and will not help him. So what do you do in such a crisis? Where do you take it? By the way, first I would just say this. God can handle the truth of your situation because he knows about it. And stating the crisis is not offensive to God. It's what happens next. Listen, friends. Between verses 2 and 3, this is the turning point. This is where faith shows or doesn't show. Right between verses 2 and 3. Because a situation happens. Now verses 3 and 4 talk about how David handles that. What David does with that. And I'll tell you, if the Psalms teach us anything, they teach us that we are to take our life to the Lord. And David has already done that in the first two verses. But he doesn't wrap it up in fake bows or some spiritualized talk. He states it for real. And then he, in this, look at how he takes this whole thing. This is so cool. Faith wars like this. It begins by crying out. The cry out. The God you confess. Faith is word out right here, verse 3. But. The buts of scripture are awesome. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Sins upon sins are all 
And it's almost hopeless in verses 1 through 3 in Ephesians chapter 2. And then verse 4 starts with, but God. And it does here in the Psalms. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Let's work this out. But you, O Lord, in Hebrew it's emphatic. It's like I just stated the crisis and now I want to put the exclamation on you, Lord. Here's my situation. Exclamation point, pretty rough. But you, in this, he is taking this right where he should. But you, oh Lord, and look at this, you are. But, the fact of the crisis is stated. Now the contrasting reality, this is where faith kicks in. Faith shows up in the crisis right here in our thinking. But God, but you, but Yahweh, you are. What's happening here? David is preaching to himself. You see this? This is my situation. This is my situation. This is my situation. Now I'm going to preach it myself. But you, O Lord, are. And in here, you are four things. Four facts of God. I love this. He's preaching truth to himself. Fact number one, the Lord is a shield. Hey, when you're in war, you want a shield. By the way, what do shields do? Shields take the hit. Think about that. Oh, Lord, many are my foes. Many, many, many. But you, O Lord, you take the hit. How cool is that? Because you feel like you are taking the hit and you are being devastated. And yet here he is putting his truth in front of him. You are a shield. You are a protector, Lord. You take the hit. By the way, notice the shield is about me. In the Hebrew, it's this idea that this is a, a 360 shield. This is around me. This is not like I'm smart enough to know where they're even coming from. This is the idea that God understands and God is like, I don't know, CG it in your mind. God is like hovering all around. He's taking the hit with it all. Isn't that cool? Hey, I, I know it's like July and October here on the west side because of everybody on vacation, but isn't that true? God takes the hit. God just is not there. Okay? This is different than that. God takes the hit. Why would that be the case? Because ultimately, the war that goes on in our world Psalm 2 is a war with God, not actually with me. And so God takes the hit, just as he has taken the hit for you on the cross for your sin. God is the shield. The Lord is my shield. Also, the Lord is my glory. It's the idea that, I love this, it's the idea that God is my weight, um, when you're in a war, you want to have stability, okay? When things are coming because you feel vulnerable and you feel easily pushed over or attacked. But the idea here is that God is my weight. The word is also used, God is my wealth, God is my substance. He, he, he can take away everything from my life. But know this, God is my weight. God is my wealth. God is my substance. Is that true for you? 
Take away your job. Take away your bank account. Take away your house. Take away your career, your image. You see what David's doing here? David is reminding himself who God is in his situation. Because the hero in the story is not David. The hero in the story is God. And we have to preach to ourselves in these hard times of life to remind ourselves God is our shield. God is our glory. And then third, God is the lifter of my head. That is just so cool. I mean, here he's in a total state of rejection, dejection. His family is just a mess. His life is just on the run. All these kinds of things. And yet it's like even as he's thinking of this, like he is my shield. He is my glory. I can lift my head. And David has some serious baggage in his past. And he can lift his head. Not in a false self of self-esteem. It's not that baloney. It's not like I'm awesome because I just think I'm awesome. What's with that? No, David lifts his head because God is awesome. This is a God esteem. This is esteeming self rightly in light of who the Lord is. Not a false sense of esteem. A God esteemed. God is my shield. God is my glory. And when I just think about that, just that lifts my head. And then the last one, the Lord answers. Many are, are, uh, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. By the way, it's really important to know that David is writing this after all this happened. Okay? This is kind of reflecting back or, I'm sorry, during the time of this he's writing. But know this, it doesn't necessarily mean that God, once David like lifted his, everything was lovely. Because actually, I'll read at the end here, it got worse. But even in the heat of it, even in the ongoing war of it, he could still lift his head. Why could he lift his head in a raging mad world? Because it is not about the character of his adversaries. It is about the character of his God. And he set his faith there. That's how faith wars. This is what faith does. Faith preaches to self. Faith takes itself in the situation. It doesn't deny what's going on and go, it's all fluffy bunnies and wonderful. He's not doing any of that. He's acknowledging the reality. He's acknowledging the heat of it. But you, O Lord, in the heat are. He's bringing himself to that point. David fills his verse 1 and 2 view of life with the verses 3 and following view of God. God trumps life. Crisis in your life? Crisis in your relationships? Crisis in your family or finances or career? Crisis even in your own life? Crisis in sin? This is the point. This is where faith wars. 
This is what faith looks like in action. It's not tying a bow on it that is, oh, eventually it'll all go away. No, it's like right now. No, right now in it. Faith puts itself into action remembering who God is. By the way, when the Lord answers, note in the text, he answers from his holy hill. That's really cool. Because part of what's going on here is it's acknowledging that, listen, I am not sovereign. I cannot see all things. But he answers from his holy hill. It's set apart, set apart, set apart. And it's a hill. And there's so many things. That's Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. All these kinds of things are going on. And God answers from that place. He's got it, friends. He's got it. And that doesn't mean it's going to get easier. It just means he's got it. And faith wars against practical atheism. Practical atheism in the situation, it charges that God is impersonal. God has abandoned me in this. Practical atheism laments that there is no help for me in God. It can be, I'm not worth God's time. Those both are lies. Practical atheism can conclude by giving up on faith in the Lord and turning elsewhere for help and glory. Obviously, God is not enough for me. And faith wars against that. Because that kind of thinking, which we've all thought, transparent, true, okay, we've all thought this, this is all run through our head, faith wars with that. And by the way, Satan loves it when we live by practical atheism. He loves that. And faith goes at it. Faith takes God's word and the truth of who God is and puts it directly in the face of that. And look what comes out of it. Watch this confidence that comes out of it. When faith wars, fears fall and faith stands. When faith wars, fear falls and faith stands. Verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. (laughs) What a contrast. I lay down and slept. I awoke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David said that uh, confidence in the Lord brings a peace you enjoy. Why did David sleep? Why, did, uh, why was David not afraid? Because the Lord sustained him. By the way, not because the circumstances changed. That's generally where we go, right? Um, I, I just got just on the table. I'm at a whole new place of life because doctoral stuff is just about done. And this is, uh, this is sweet living right now. I am telling you, is this what life is? Because this is awesome. And yet in it, it's not about getting out of it. It's about faith living through it. And I have to tell you, there have been some times where I did not live well through it. The Lord sustained him. How did that come about? Because David took 
his reality and put the character of who God is over it. That's what faith does. Faith goes to war with the crises of life. And he slept. By the way, small groups going through Jonah may remind you that uh, Jonah slept in the boat during a huge storm and Jonah was not at a good place with the Lord, right? Jonah was comfortable with his sin. Hey, the feeling of peace, be very careful. Because Jonah had peace running from the Lord. And a sense of peace, Jonah, does not equate to God is in that. But yet here in this psalm, clearly that's the reality for David. Because of who God is, David was be able to sleep. I'm just assuming he didn't sleep well for a lot of nights before. We all know what that's like. His faith wasn't founded upon a feeling. It was founded upon the character and the position, the seed of God, and he rested in God. Again, this is not positive thinking. Also, I will say this is not pulling Scripture out of context. Well, Philippians says, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at the context. It's not saying you can do anything and everything you want. It's not even saying that. I remember in camp, I called Philippians 4, my my pull-up verse. Because in camp, I'm doing pull-ups as a kid, and they're like, come on, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And I'm like, curses on you. (laughs) I couldn't do it. The verse is not talking about that. But here in this whole thing, here we see David in this. David is resting in who God is and the fact that God has it. Biblical thinking is founded upon who God is. And I work out from that place. One other note. The I of verse 5, the I lay down, is emphatic. As is the, but you, O Lord, is emphatic. So let me kind of put it this way. O Lord, many are my foes, many, 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 but you, O Lord, emphatic. You, O Lord, are. And therefore, I myself lay down in you. There's an emphaticness. It's almost this idea as you read this that David took himself, he just preached to himself, and he places himself in what he just preached about who God is. I lay down in that. Man, I'm telling you, friends, more of that in me, more of that in us, right? And then verses 7 and 8. Love this. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. That sounds kind of rough, doesn't it? But if you understand David's situation, sometimes we talk too mamsy-pamsy. This is war. And then verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember what they were saying before about him? 
God has left him? No, no. Salvation is in the hands of the Lord, your blessing beyond your people. Many things could be said, but the help you expect, whether it be this side of heaven or the other side of heaven, the Lord will defeat evil. Psalm 2, Raging Mad World, is for a season in redemptive history. We are in that season. He will save his own. Rest in that. That's just not sweet words. That's action. That's a task. In light of what God's word says, I rest myself in that. And I hold myself there. By the way, look up at the end of Psalm 2. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In a raging mad world, we take refuge in the Lord. But also know this. The end of the story is not just about taking refuge in the Lord. The end of the story is ultimately about victory in the Lord. Psalm 3. We take refuge in him knowing that victory will come. Chadwick speaks of uh, seeing this victory in a sense of humility. He says, there are to be no victories that are not thine. There are to be no victories in my life that are not thine, Lord. No, my victories, all thine victories. More of that in us, Lord. The tree planted by streams of living water, Psalms 1. And the raging storms of life in this world come raging upon us, Psalm 2. That is the time that a Psalm 3 individual takes their roots and they dig in and they draw from the streams of living water. Because outside of the streams of living water is a raging war going on, Psalm 2. And the tree that's been transplanted by those water dives in, digs in, grabs a hold of who God is, continues to shoot its roots down, not away from the streams of living water, but into the streams of living water. And it just continues to suck up and savor just like a whole bunch, all five dove dark chocolates in one shot. (laughs) Woo! That's a picker-upper. And that's what we're talking about here. Because in crisis, faith wars. Faith doesn't just sit on a shelf. Faith just isn't repeating some mantra. Faith goes at it. And it grabs a hold of God's truth and who God is. And it puts that up to it. And it wars. It's hard. It's not easy. But we go at it knowing who God is. Faith wars like that. Psalm 1 plus Psalm 2 equals Psalm 3. And might I say, the rest of the Psalms are all about faith. One final thing. Um, If you picture David writing this Psalm and then the situation goes instantaneously, or his life situation goes instantaneously wonderful, uh, let me read from you from Psalm 18, verse 33. Because Absalom, his other son, dies. Amnon is murdered by his brother, half-brother. Tamar is raped by her half-brother. 
Absalom goes against his father. Absalom comes back for restoration and then connives behind the king's back and then ends up getting his own father running, fleeing out of town. And in it, Absalom eventually dies. Listen to verse 33. And the king, this is David, after even the circumstances being written about in Psalm 3. And the king was deeply moved about Absalom's death and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That's grief. That is hurt. That is anguish. And yet in that, in that anguish, David still just continued to put his roots down in who God is in the anguish and in the hurt of it all. Life is not Disney World. Psalm 1 people living in a Psalm 2 world. Let's pray. Communion service, I'm going to ask if you stay. Don't get up right now. Stay where you're at. Pastor Nick just started with some time of silence. I'm just going to grab a hold of that. Maybe you're in a life crisis right now. If that's the case, I just want to call you, grab a hold of Psalm 3 and take it in. In fact, I would even encourage you, go home. And write Psalm 3 out with some of your own story, reality of verses 1 and 2. Oh Lord. And then follow the rest of the psalm down. View it through the lens of scripture like David did of who God is. Write your own Psalm 3. Maybe you're not in a life crisis right now. I just want to remind you that what we just saw in Psalm 3 should be happening every day, all the time, throughout the day. Preaching to ourselves who God is. Because I'm sorry to say, times of crisis are coming because we live in a raging mad world. Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no hope, there is no help for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield around and about me. You are my glory. You're my weight. You are the lifter of my head. I cried. I cried aloud to the Lord. And he answered me from his holy hill. 
out of that, I lay down and slept. And out of that truth, I laid down and I rested. And then I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid. I do not have to be afraid of the many who set themselves against me all around me. Arise, O Lord, save me. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Communion services, if you'd go ahead and get ready. So Father, I just want to sit here in this for a little bit. We are about to take communion. What can happen here, Lord, right now is a fantastic time for us to remember. For us to put into place verses three and four. Who you are. Lord Jesus, you came and you paid the price. You are the weight. You are the one that is the shield. You are the one that took the blow of sin. God, you are the one who made rest in that forgiveness available to all. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who does not know you as their Savior, that you would even just now be loving on them and working on them and drawing them to yourself, that they would confess and receive Christ as the one taking the blow for the curse of sin. And God, for those who know Christ as their Savior, we rejoice in this moment. We, we celebrate in this moment that we are right now remembering who you are and what you did. And that there is hope in the crisis. There is hope in the times of failure. There is hope, not because of us, not because of circumstances even getting better, but because of you. You are our weight. You are our satisfaction. You are our salvation. Oh God, as trees planted by streams of living water, may we just dig into that and sap that up, pull that up, hang on that, drink that up, savor that reality. That is what we remember in this time of communion. Who you are what you have done, what you are doing. And we rejoice in that, and we rest in that, and we celebrate that.